What up, guys? It's JP from the Double Double, and I'm here with my co-host, Ben. What's going on, everybody? Welcome, welcome. And today, we're just going to hop right into it. The best team in basketball, the Boston Celtics. From our hometown of Boston, Ben, what do you think of the Celtics' performance as of late? I'm loving it, man. Seven-game win streak. Some of the games have been a little shaky. They've beaten good teams. They've beaten some bad teams. All around, uh, masterful offensive showing from the Celtics. That's really what it's been. The defense hasn't been all too stellar. We're still middle of the pack, but the offense has been amazing. We're number one in offensive rating in the league right now. Um, and I know Jason Tatum's going to get all the credit. And if you want to talk about him for a while, I'll let you do that. So I'm going to start with Marcus Smart. Uh, we talk about year after year, we talk about let's get rid of these score first point guards and let's bring a dude who can set the table for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Uh, let's bring a dude who's okay passing the ball, who's not going to shot Chuck. Marcus Smart is turning himself into that guy, slowly and surely. Uh, he had 20-something points the other day against OKC, and we needed him to score. But over the past five games, man, his assist-to-turnover rate is ridiculous. To the season, to this point in the season, he's got seven assists and 1.6 turnovers. He is the table setter. He's been exactly what we needed him to be. We didn't need to go get somebody else. Um, Malcolm Brogdon's been an excellent addition, but he's missed a couple of games. All in all, excellent offensive showing from the Celtics. Yeah, and I think Marcus Smart is definitely a huge part of that. Like you said, Tatum's going to get all the credit, and he he should get most of it. He's a top-five player in the league. I also want to talk about Jalen Brown. There's a weird sector of people on the internet that really dislike Jalen Brown for the Celtics, and they think he's super overrated and stuff like that. I I don't know how much more you can ask from a second option. I just feel like he is the perfect complement to Tatum, to Smart. To He's just a guy that can get to the rim at will and occasionally catch fire from three. Um, he's been playing very well. Tatum's been playing very well. Marcus Smart. All the role players are chipping in as well. Like Malcolm Brogdon, when he plays, looks just like the guy I thought he would look like. He looks awesome on this team. Obviously, you just brought up Marcus Smart, Grant Williams. He's Nate teased it kind of before the season. He's been adding a little bit of stuff to his game. You can see he's not just a, I mean, that's still his primary game, just catch and shoot threes, but there's a little bit more juice there. Mm -hmm. This this whole team, man, they're clicking on all cylinders. They are, man. Uh, I don't know about if the stats have held up, but before yesterday's game, the Celtics were top three in three-point percentage, two-point percentage, and free throw percentage. Um, and they're generating excellent looks. It's not a fluke. They're really, they're getting their shooters in the spots they want to be in. Jalen Brown's awesome. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum might be equal level playmakers at this point. I've seen some incredible passing games from Jalen. Um, usually he just sticks to scoring, but there's some times where you see him get it into his head that he's got to be a facilitator. And he had eight assists the other day. He does it. Yeah. Um, it's good that we've got guys like Smart and Derek White and Brogdon who can set the table a little more effectively. But Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, every year, man, they just get a little better at it. Um, Jalen Brown concerns me a little bit with the off-court Kanye Kyrie stuff. Um, but as a player, as a basketball guy, you can't ask for anything more, man. Perfect compliment, I think, to yeah. Jason Tatum. I don't think he, there's a player better in the a better fit next to Tatum in the league than Jalen Brown. It, it's the perfect combo. Um, and just let's just talk about the Celtics offense in general, because me and you, they were struggling a little bit in the beginning on defense and their offense had been really good the entire season. Now it's hitting historic rates. Now they're scoring 120 points per game first in the league, crazy efficiency all throughout They're first in the league in turnovers, just meaning they keep the ball super safe. And that's with Jalen Brown. Uh, having a very big turnover issue they still lead the league in protecting the ball this team protects the ball and shoots a ton of threes and makes a ton of threes 49 percent of their shots right now are from the three-point line that is like houston rockets james harden numbers and they're hitting them at a ridiculous clip joe Missoula definitely has his own little you know, theory to how to play basketball. This is not the Udoka team we saw last year. This is a whole new, like, chuck it from three, and it's working out. They, they, this team's very, very good on offense. And how cool is that, man, to see a first-time coach in Joe Missoula, a guy who, like, 
a lot of people were very, very concerned about actually show some flashes and some promise offensively. Uh, the true shooting for the Celtics right now is at 61.4% as a team, as a unit. It's first in the NBA by a good margin. Yeah. Um, it's insane how good the looks the Celtics are generating are. And it's because we have so many creators, guys who can create for themselves, guys who can create for others. Um, and Joe Missoula, for the most part, is putting out good lineups. I saw a trash lineup, probably game three. Uh, it was something like Sam Hauser, Grant Williams, Derek White, Noah Vonley, and some other you know bench piece. No Brown, no Tatum, no Smart. Um, since then, I haven't seen that. I honestly, like, you had to go into the season with expectations lowered because Joe Mazzulla is a brand new guy. Some of the timeout issues are still there, but I am really, really happy with what I've seen from Joe Mazzulla. Yeah, I, I think he's been doing an incredible job. And I think this leads us to talking about Jason Tatum a little bit more. You know, after the finals, before the finals even ended, people were putting him as a top five player. And I thought that was premature, especially the way he ended up performing in the finals. Um, you know, I think if you don't have him in your top five right now, you're just a hater. I think it's gotten to that point. And I texted you a few few days ago where it's like, this guy's going to be first team all NBA and he's probably going to be first team all defense. And the only other guys in the league that do that right now are Kawhi and LeBron. And both of those players are, you know, in the late stages of their career. So Tatum kind of is the torchbearer of the two way player wing that can really kind of bring you to a championship. And it's, you know, I, I don't know if you can put Kawhi above him anymore. And that's, and that's fine with me. He's getting old. His knees just can't work. And LeBron, we know where he is with his career. So Tatum really is the premier wing in the league. And I'm trying to think of like his competitors for that spot. Maybe Kevin Durant still obviously a contender for that spot, but just what, what JT's doing on defense right now is pretty unique. Yeah, he is. Uh, I think he's the second best two-way player in the league right now. Uh, Giannis is going to hold that title for as long as he's in the NBA. But Jason Tatum is second place. He's my guy for second place in that spot. Um, there's some more complete offensive players. I think Luka and Steph are still above him. Um, I got Jason Tatum penciled in at fifth right now. But in terms of MB MVP front runners to this point in the season, he's top two, top three. Um, Giannis has been incredible. Luka's been incredible. The Bucks are winning a lot. The Mavs are not. Um, so if you want to put Jason Tatum above Luca in the MVP conversation right now, I have absolutely no problem with that. Uh, and this does not look unsustainable. I think that's the best thing. The defensive effort from Jason Tatum has been excellent. And there's still a lot of games where he surprisingly bricks a lot of shots, but he still ends the game with 28 points. Um, he it's the getting to the rim, man. He's going to the rim hard. He's using the muscle that he spent the last three years building to yes. attack the rim and get to the free throw line. Yeah. I love it, man. This is what we've been waiting for. Me and you clowned him so much last year because he put on all this muscle. He's 220 pounds. He's all shredded up. And then when it comes to going to the rim, he couldn't make a layup to save his life. Mm -hmm. Now you're seeing him just dive towards the rim, finish through contact. It seems like contact doesn't really even bother him anymore, which is, I mean, a change over an offseason can really, really propel you forward in the player rankings. And he's always been such a great shooter. Literally, as a rookie, he was shooting 40% from three when we like camped him out in the corners, right? So... Yeah, uh, he's he's a top five player. I think he should probably be number one in the MVP race right now. I mean, we're 14 games in, but just in terms of a fifth through the season, I think what he's done with this team and the statistical anom anomaly that the Celtics are offensively, he's the leading guy in that. So I think it's fine if you have him number one. For yeah, and they're an anomaly in terms of their numbers are just so much better than everybody else. But it's not like we go into these games and our guys are shooting 60% from three. Um, they're like, we have efficient three-point shooters and they're getting the ball in spots they like. Um, this is sustainable. This offensive production is sustainable. The defense should get better. Um, we're seeing Jason Tatum used as a weak side help guy in a lot of defensive uh, plays, a lot like Rob Williams. And obviously Tatum's never going to have that explosiveness, but we've seen in some games, he gets up and he protects the rim. 
Uh, he had a really good block on Kevin Love in that overtime game against the Cavs. He's done it a bunch of times. He's gotten nice blocks. He's gotten nice strips. Um, he's our defensive anchor right now, and it's awesome to see your best offensive player also be your defensive anchor. Yeah, and I mean, when Marcus Smart won the Defensive Player of the Year award last year, I was kind of like, oh, it's more of a team award. Like, Jason Tatum has a chance to be in that fucking race for Defensive Player of the Year. Like, yeah. I, what he's doing, being able to switch on anyone on the perimeter that's talking guards, forwards, whatever, and then also being able to help be a help defense guy. Like, Giannis is always going to take the crown as the two-way guy, and you mentioned that, but... This team, if they fix their defense and they end up being a top five defense again, and he's, I, I just, I'm very excited for the Celtics. I think Celtics fans should be very happy. And I tweeted this morning, look out for a 60 win team this year. I said it in the preseason. I got a little bit shaky on it just because Joe Mazzulla was there. And I, I kind of didn't know how to feel about that. It turns out my first instinct was right. I think this team's just going to be a wagon blowing through everyone the entire year. I think you're right, man. I don't know the numbers on it, but 11 and three for your first 14 games as a head coach, that's got to be one of the best win rates of all time for yeah, a brand new head coach. It's like that and Steve Kerr when he yeah. took over the Warriors. It's, yeah, it's exactly right. Yeah, um, the company that he's in right now. Ridiculous. Let's um, move on to my Cleveland Cavaliers who have good. been making me violently depressed. Um, it has been a tough like week for me personally. Uh, we beat the Lakers handedly, wasn't really close. We went to go play the LA Clippers. Darius Garland was absolutely atrocious in that game. Um, we went and played Sacramento, another close one. We ended up losing. Then we go to Golden State. Clay Thompson gets away with a moving screen to give Steph Curry a wide open three. Dagger, game over. And then Minnesota, Evan Mobley scores four points and only takes four shots. And Darius Garland by himself scores more than the entire rest of the starting lineup. And the Wolves shot 62% from the floor and 50% from three. That's where I am right now. This team was eight and one very, like literally two weeks ago. And now they are eight and five. And now they're the four seed. And it's not getting easier because we face Giannis tomorrow. And anytime you face that man, you have a 50-50 shot at losing, no matter how, probably greater, honestly, probably greater than losing uh, 50-50. Mm -hmm. I'm a little bit in the dumps right now because Evan Mobley was incredible on the West Coast road trip. He averaged 21 and nine and a half and was a menace on defense. And we lost all, like most of those games as he was putting on that type of performance. And then we come back home to face Minnesota and then Jared Allen and Donovan Mitchell are hurt. So we can't even turn it around at home. It feels like the Cavs are a little bit stuck in the mud. Their defense has been fucking horrible as of late. Um, I'm a little depressed. I think we're going to get back on track, but it's just been a very strange week for the Cavs. It has been a tough week. And uh, because you're a Cavs fan, I've spent a lot more time the past month or so listening to other Cavs fans talk about this season and how it's going. Everybody's in the same place, in the dumps. It's tough. Um, I'll, I'm going to come in here with some positive things, some reasons to be very optimistic about this team going forward. Their losses have been by seven points, five points, five points, three points, and two points. Yeah. These are all close games. They're neck and neck to the end. Some of these games, they're missing important pieces. Some of these games, Darius Garland is building a brick house himself um, with the shots he chucks up. And they're still close games every single time. Yeah. The offensive rating is still second in the NBA. The defensive rating is still third in the NBA. Um, this is a young team that is very still, very clearly still figuring some stuff out. And even with that, their numbers are incredible. Darius Garland had the best fourth quarter I've seen this year. Um, he could not miss 10 three-pointers, 27 points in the fourth, 51 overall. If that comeback happened, that would have been insane. Um, I'm not concerned even the slightest bit. A four-game skid is tough. It's upsetting. It's probably going to be a fifth with this game against the Bucks. But overall, you don't have a lot of things to worry about. Long term, I'm not worried. Yeah. Short term, this is the hardest. This is the most depressed I've been in a while. It just watching Cavs basketball because all of these games, like you mentioned, we're keeping it close, 
but we're losing. Mm-hmm. Like, sometimes it's just better to get blown out. We're in the thick of it. And then the final five minutes, that's when it starts to slip for, through our fingers. Yeah. And it feels like we could, you know, be 13 and one right now, but we keep letting it go in the last five minutes. And it's frustrating to watch. Like that Minnesota game was over in the first quarter. There was no need to reason to watch the rest of it. I watched it because I'm a psychopath. And, you know, if it wasn't for Darius Garland literally having one of the craziest heat checks I've ever seen in my life, Minnesota would have won by 20. And it was not a close game the entire game until the fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. Um, Golden State, that was heartbreaking. That was such a tough one to watch. Golden State have cheated their way into two wins this season against the Cavs and against the Kings. That's what this team does. Keep going. And it was Clay Thompson both times. Yeah. Clay Thompson literally just moving his feet, shuffling in front of Isaac Okoro and then blowing his shit up to give Steph Curry a wide open. Like it was so. Once I watched that happen, I literally tweeted out, I'm going to fucking hate this last two minute report that comes out on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And just like I thought they called it a moving screen in the last two minute report, the Warriors are frauds. Um, But Steph Curry dropped 40 on our heads. And it's just. I just want to get back to winning ways. I want to get a win under our belt. Uh, the schedule softens up a little bit after Milwaukee. We face Charlotte, Miami, Atlanta. But then we go to Portland, M- Milwaukee again. Like Every team's decent now. That's yeah. what we're seeing in the NBA. No wins are guaranteed to you. When we lost to the Kings, I was furious. Um, but I honestly got it because DeMontis Sabonis bullied the fuck out of Jared Allen the entire game. So... I'm in a weird spot. I'm not concerned long-term. This is still a top four seed. This is still a team I think has championship potential if they unlock a little bit more of Mobley. I think there should never be a game where he averages less than 10 shot attempts. And for whatever reason, he was awesome on the West Coast dominating. And then when they came back home, he had four shot attempts again. There should never be a game where he has less than 10. Um, So when they get that figured out and just how to get him the ball in decent spots, I think this opens up a whole new level for the team. I agree. And I hope it's not the case that we keep saying that game after game for the rest of the season, like we did last year. Um, But I guess if you want to be pessimistic, there's ways you could do that pretty easily with this team. They've had six close games, five close games. Um, They whooped the Celtics in that first overtime, but they made it to overtime. So call that six close games. They've lost five of them. Um, they beat the Celtics by one point in overtime last game. So that is concerning. If it's not a blowout, it's a loss. Um, That is something to be a little bit worried about, but it's also something to expect when your team is run by young guys, Um, that it's just going to take a while for that part of the game, the clutch part to kick in and for them to actually work the way you want them to work. Uh, I do want to see Mobley involved more. I'm I'm frustrated that this is the conversation we keep having. We keep watching this man look excellent when he gets touches and then the next game just be denied touches for the entire game. Yeah, go watch him against Golden State. Go watch him against the Clippers. He was a fucking menace. The Clippers is easy, man. They play small ball and they could just feed him every single possession and he gets dunked. Even with Zubac out there, he did not fucking care. He was blowing right by him. So Mm -hmm. it's just a strange thing. And also you mentioned how if it's not a blowout, we like we lose. And that's so true. If anyone's interested, go to the Clippers game and watch the final five minutes. The The only two players to take a shot was Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell. I don't care about Donovan Mitchell because he fucking made every single shot he took. Darius Garland was fucking horrible in that mm-hmm. Clippers game. Absolutely horrible. And they were only taking threes. They didn't get inside the three-point line once in the fucking final five minutes of the game. And you have two seven-footers. And the it's... Clippers are not a rim-protecting team. And they're not a rim-protecting team. It was very confusing. I'm hoping we can turn it around. I'm going to say it on the podcast here. We beat Milwaukee. I'm positive of it. Um, But yeah, I want to see more of the defensive effort that I saw in the beginning of the year and more of the just explosive offense that I saw in the beginning of the year. That's totally fair. And I'm going to pivot to a a kind of surprise team. We didn't talk about this earlier, but speaking of beating the Bucks, uh, the Atlanta Hawks are nine and five. Two of Milwaukee's three losses are against Atlanta. Uh, We've seen some weirdness with this team. And Trey Young's been weird, but the the thing with this team, the reason they've been winning is their defensive rating is sixth in the NBA right now. 
Uh, if you'd asked me at any time in Trey Young's entire career, could he be on a top 10 defensive team? The answer was hell no. Um, and obviously he's not the reason for this defensive showing, but you got to love that, man. You got to love seeing Trey Young be surrounded by defensive pieces, having them bring in a defensive all-star and having it actually work. Uh, they're fourth or third in the East right now. Um, yeah. Earlier they were four and two and they had beat four garbage teams, but since then they've beat the Pels. They have beat Milwaukee twice and they've beat Philadelphia. Those are legitimate wins. They got to be very happy about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Onyeka Okongwu is very good. Uh, he's always been very good. He's shown flashes of just brilliance, but they gave him like 20 minutes a game. But when he's out there, he's a defensive stalwart. Uh, Clint Capella, great at protecting the rim. DeAndre Hunter, we know what he's about on defense. DeJounte Murray, we know what he's about on defense. Like this team quietly constructed a very competent unit on defense around the worst defender in NBA history. And it seems like they've found a way to kind of hide Trey Young. So if they can continue that, they're in good graces. Also, their young guys, A.J. Griffin and Jalen Johnson, have looked very good as of late. A.J. Griffin had a great game against Milwaukee, scoring 26 points. Um, That's huge for a rookie to just come in and step in and win you a game, kind of. That's pretty insane mm-hmm. and then Jalen Johnson's been very good on defense so Atlanta looks good all around right now those were great draft choices those were dudes we kind of expected to be productive right away uh, AJ Griffin quietly shooting 46 percent from the three-point line so far through his young rookie season he's awesome we knew he was going to be awesome we knew he was going to be a shooter um the some of the stuff I want to highlight Clint Capella is an offensive rebounding genius um, he his offensive rebounding percentage is 20 or no 17 percent um 17 percent of every board every ball that's in the air he gets the offensive rebound he's averaging Crazy. four and a half a game onyeka kongu's at 10 percent yeah. um these are guys who keep possessions alive for their team and then they can kick out to some pretty competent shooters man deandre hunter's healthy for the first time in a while and mm-hmm. we know whenever he plays he's rock solid um surprisingly one of the worst offensive players for the hawks to this point in the season has been trey young yeah he has been shot chucking like nobody's business 31 percent from three he's actually shooting a higher percentage on logo threes than threes with the foot on the line um it's it's gross to watch and i'm sick of him taking so many shots that's all it comes down to. Trey Young is one of the best playmakers in basketball. He always will be. Feed your guys more. That's kind of what I'm my issue with Trey Young right now. Yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, he could probably chill with the shot uh, shot taking, like 28 attempts in a game. That's okay if you're Trey Young, but it can't be like every other night, especially when you're not making your shots. Maybe right. just maybe go to the rim a lot, get to the foul line, get a rhythm there, and maybe then start shot chucking. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in terms of just his shooting effect, like efficiency this year, it's not been good. His playmaking, though, has been freaking awesome. Absolutely. The way he can chuck lobs to either Capella or a Kongwu, whoever's out there. Or, or John Johnson Collins, or John Collins. Yeah, name him. It's unbelievable because obviously Trey's got one of the best handles in the league, so he can blow past his defender. And once that big man steps up to help on Trey, he just lobs it right over their head and it's an easy two points. So... As much as Trey Young's been frustrating in terms of his efficiency, and obviously his defense is never going to be good, uh, the playmaking this year, I it's it's pretty unique. It's very special. It's been excellent, yeah. Um, it's just the efficiency that I have an issue with. Shooting 38% from the field right now. Yeah. Um, that's bad. That's really, really bad. De- DeJounte Murray has been excellent. Um, Trey Young, I expected to be just less of a solar system guy, and he's gotten more off-ball screens to this point in the season than I think ever in his entire career. Um, He is being made an off-ball guy. They're trying it, and we're seeing it work sometimes. He's got the catch-and-shoot ability, and he's also got the catch-and-whip pass to somebody else who's open. Um, I'm I'm liking what I'm seeing from the Hawks. It's cool to see them be 9-5, and man. I didn't expect that. Yeah, I I thought they would be a tier below the Cavs. They're kind of right there with the Cavs, yeah. honestly, though. They they seem very evenly matched, those two teams. Um, I'm, Hopefully they play each other soon. That, that would be fun. Uh, that they would be play fun. November 21st, so I'll definitely 
be excited to watch that one. But yeah, Atlanta's been a pleasant surprise. I want to see that team do well. I think that would be sad if they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals and then never did anything relevant ever again. Like, that would be kind of a disappointment for me personally, just because, you know, Trey Young almost captivated the entire NBA world by being the villain at New York. Um, I would love to see more of him just kind of performing in the playoffs. Yeah, he is a cool villain. He likes the spotlight. He shines in that spotlight. Um, we see some playoff series like that one against the heat last year where it's like, Jesus, what is wrong with this guy? That was Um, tough. It was tough, but you know what he is at his best. It would be fun to see him back at that level. Um, I want to pivot a little bit to the Denver nuggets. Nikola Jokic has been weird. The Denver nuggets have been weird. Um, I'm happy with how the team is. I've been a nuggets fan just basically because Jokic is on the team. He's the guy I'm watching in all these minutes. Right now, Jokic is taking less shots per game than he's taken since his second year in the league. 13 a game. He was at 18 a game the last two seasons. He's only taken more than 18 shots twice this year. It's been weird. There are seven Nuggets scoring more than 10 points per game. They're one of the best three-point shooting teams. They're the best in terms of percentage in the NBA right now. And that is Jokic. The, The open shots that he generates for guys is pretty unreal. But I want to see him shoot more, man. I wanted him to be a back-to-back-to-back MVP this year. It's impossible with 13 shot attempts a game. Yeah. I think we can already count him out of the conversation, which is sad. Yeah. And we're 15 games into the season, so it's Mm -hmm. like, what the hell? But I think he's already out of contention. Um, I, I mentioned this on the podcast, I think, two weeks ago at this point, like how strange it was that he wasn't taking as many shots. But I'm kind of, I've found a positive way to look at this. He has been a solo engine by himself for basically two years now. Um, I think he needs to like take a break, basically, from yeah. just being the solar system. I think him just being a distributor, and we're saying all this while he's still averaging 21 points, right? So it's not like he's he's sucking from the points per game perspective. It's just not, he's not taking as many shots as he used to. But he has guys around him that can do the heavy lifting for him now. I mean, Michael Porter Jr. has been sensational. Absolutely sensational. 18 points per game, 50% from the floor, and 48% from three. Those are God-tier numbers. That is one of the most unique offensive weapons in the league right there. And then you have Jamal Murray, too, who can create his own shot, get to the hoop. He's still struggling from three, but I'm assuming his legs will come back as the season goes on. Um, I'm just, I feel like this strategy could make them a better playoff team because then you get rested Jokic the whole way through. You get rested Jokic and you get your bench guys with rhythm. You get your other team members with rhythm. Contavious Caldwell-Pope right now is shooting 55% from the three-point line. Yeah. He's played 12 games this year. Michael Porter Jr. shooting 48%. He's taken 93s to this point in the season and he's hitting 48% of them. That's unreal. Bones Highland, 50% from three. These guys are getting the most open looks in the NBA because Jokic is amazing. Jokic's offensive rating right now is 132. It's a stupid number. His true shooting is 68%. You can't say anything poor about what Jokic is doing. The only frustrating thing is take more shots. Um, But you're right. If this gets him well-rested into the playoffs – if he gets the rest of his bench guys in rhythm, feeling good, ready to go, that is what this Nuggets team needs. And they're winning, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I kind of view Jokic as the new like LeBron in the sense that LeBron used to take role players and just get them $80 million paydays because when they played next to LeBron, they looked so much better than they actually were. I kind of view Jokic that way. Like I feel like Contavious Caldwell Pope hitting 55% of three. That's Jokic making him look like one of the best shooters in the league. He's a good shooter, but because all of his shots have nine feet of space with no one with no one within, you know, however many feet of him, right. like he's gonna hit 55% of them. So right. and they're the two seed folks. Like this is not a fluke. They're beating good teams, they're beating bad teams. There, this is a formula that will work through the duration of the season. Everyone just needs to stay healthy and then they're golden. Yeah, you want to hear something crazy? Here are the three-point percentages of Nugget players right now from the corners. Contavious Caldwell-Pope, 54%. 
Michael Porter Jr., 60%. Jamal Murray, 67%. Jeff Green, 50%. Christian Brown, 57%. Bones Highland, 57%. How do you lose games if you have that kind of shooting? You don't. You don't. You don't. Um, it's it's awesome. I love to see the Nuggets balling. Jokic will start taking more shots as the season progresses. I'm sure of it. There will be injuries. There will be games where he has to take. He has to ball out and take 24 shots. Yeah. We've seen two of them this year to this point. Um, I'm not worried about it, but I am keeping my eye on it. Yeah, and I think always deep down, Jokic is going to have that thing that he had as a rookie where it's like, I'd rather just get my teammates involved. Right, right. Right? Like, he's always going to have that part of him where he's like, I am a facilitator. I want my guys to have fun out here. I want my guys to get their numbers. And that's okay. If they're mm-hmm. winning, if they're winning 70% of their games, it doesn't matter how he plays as long as he's, you know, the second, third best player in the league. Like he's at that tier. Yeah. I'm Nobody's totally confused on who the best player on this team is. Exactly. They're right. still double teaming Jokic because they know if they don't, the game's over. Right. Right. So yeah, very impressive team, very strange team. Um, but I, looking forward for them, I'm very optimistic just on their outlook. I think they're going to be just as good as me and you thought they were going to be. Me too. If they're shooting this well without Jokic attempting a lot of shots, it's, it's sky's the limit. Really, truly is. Can I take a pivot really quick? Sure. I I just want to harp on how fucking bad Detroit is. Sure. Detroit is fucking horrible. Yeah. This is crazy. Like. I think I, I was a Cade fan and I made some pretty ridiculous comps for him on this, you know, podcast. Like I've called him Damian Lillard mixed with Clay Thompson just because of his demeanor and the way he can take over games and shit like that. I'm starting to think there's a possibility they become like the Sacramento Kings of like five years ago, where it's like De'Aaron Fox, next big guard. And then it just like kind of never happened. And like Buddy Heald was like the next Steph Curry and it like never happened. And we just, I think naturally as NBA fans, we like to progress things forward based on potential, right? Like we see skills, we see like a team starting to get better and we go, okay, well, they should get even better next year and they Mm -hmm. should get better the year after that. And we just kind of progress things out. Cade is still really fucking bad from the floor and from three. He's not an efficient player. Um, Is he a good switchable defender on wings? Absolutely. Is he an above average playmaker at six foot six? Absolutely. Just scoring the basketball and making this team better. This team is fucking dog shit. And I love Jalen Duran. Ivy's looked pretty good. And Cade still looks good despite his efficiency struggles. Um, But yeah, this team's like really bad. This team's very, very bad. You're not wrong. This team has been awful. They're three and twelve. Um, something that we talk about a lot that I think is a lot harder to quantify is how well your team can develop talent. You know, those sorts of guys, the player development coaches, are pretty nameless. Um, nobody knows. Like I know the Pell shooting coach is elite. I watched what he did with Brandon Ingram. I watched what he did with Lonzo Ball. I don't know what his name is. Yeah. Um, I couldn't, you could, if you showed me a picture of him, I would have no idea what he looks like. Um, <laughs> I think with the Pistons, we're not seeing development. Yeah. Beef stew is a good player with a lot of energy. He hasn't improved much since he's been in the league. Cade is the same inefficient shot chucking self that he was last year. Uh, Sadiq Bay isn't having a great year. Um, there's a lot of reasons where I'm a, just a little bit concerned, man about this team going forward because the potential is all there, but you need veterans. You need good coaches to help these young guys reach that potential. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's the quote unquote potential that's there, right? Right. So all potential means is we project these players to get significantly better. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm a fan of all their young guys. I still like Cade. I still like Ivy. I love Durin. I think it just, I'm not sure how big of a role he's ever going to have, but I'd want Duran on my team, like as an 18 year old grabbing as many boards as he does in the minutes he gets, like that's a good player moving forward. Mm -hmm. But I think as NBA fans, we forget that sometimes this shit doesn't always, it's not linear. Like it doesn't just go, okay, this team's bad next year. They'll be better, better, better championship. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't work that way all the time. Um, And this, this team, I'm getting a little concerned about, let's say. Their three-point shooting is poor, 
Um, and it's poor in a way that needs somebody who understands shooting to step in and fix. It's not just going to get better with time and practice. These guys practice plenty. Uh, Sadiq Bay's jumper, it looks pretty. It's not going in very often. Cade Cunningham, I don't mind his three-point shot. I don't mind the way it looks. Um, it's not going in. Jaden Ivey's three-pointer looks ugly. And if he shoots like this for the rest of his career, I'm not confident he'll ever be a great three-point shooter. Um, they're lacking in that department. That's something they need to fix. You know, in the next coming months, I'd like to see improvement. Because um, we know, we've seen with Cade, when he's scoring well, everybody's wondering where Cade is. Every defender on the other team is aware of where Cade is at all times, whether or not he has the ball. Um, that's where my potential comes from. Seeing this guy at his best, seeing the skill set that he has, if he can iron out some of the glaring problems with the inefficiency, Cade is going to be an excellent player. Um, you know, that is a tall task. It's not something that everybody does. It's not something that just happens. But you can very clearly see a path for Cade being one of the better guards in the NBA. A hundred percent agree. And I've noticed something just with the sophomore class in general. So the Evan Mobley, Scotty Barnes, Cade and Jalen Green, like those four players specifically, when they're right, they look like NBA all-stars. And when they're wrong, they look fucking bad. Like Mobley taking four shots the other day was, it was honestly hard to watch. Even as the biggest Evan Mobley fan on this planet, mm -hmm. I was just like, how does that happen? And then in Cade's last game, he goes one for 11. Yeah. It's like. Man, go the top seven from that class. Cade has those games. Jalen Green has those games. Evan Mobley disappears. Scotty Barnes, I love. No issues with Scotty Barnes. Jalen Suggs disappears. No, I, hey, we have to, if we're going to slander, Scotty Barnes has not been the same guy this year. No, Scotty Barnes has not been the same guy this year. He falls into that same shit. He has not been the same guy. 13 points per game on 43% from the floor, 32% from three. I mean, he's taking more threes, so I guess that he's making more of them, but not, he's he's just like them. He, he had a four for 19 game the other day. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. I've only watched good Scotty Barnes minutes, so I haven't <laughs> seen those sh the shitty games. Yeah. Um, but Josh Giddy has those games. Jonathan Kaminga had three DNPs in a row. Um, there's some weirdness going on with the sophomores. Um, it's undeniable. What's weird is the most consistent one out of all of them is by far Franz Wagner. Yeah. It's like, who it's saw that coming? Man? Yeah. It's not close. Like every single night, you know, you can put your pencil to paper and say, Franz is probably going to get 18 points per night. And that's what he's been doing. And it's kind of guaranteed every single night. You don't have to worry if he's getting his shots. You don't know if you like, doesn't matter who's guarding him. Doesn't matter how many shots he's taking. He's getting 18 points. Uh, just a weird sophomore class uh, start to the season, I feel like. It definitely has been, especially for the guys that we had so much faith in and we expected so much of. Um, it's so early to make any kind of wide judgment calls on the rest yeah. of the season. But again, it's something to keep an eye on. So before we wrap up on the Pistons, if you, Ben, were a Pistons fan, how confident are you that you have like a nice foundation moving forward? Are you like still very optimistic? Like this is the foundation moving forward that I want to have. Or are you feeling like we really need Victor Wembenyama to really change this shit? I think any team that tanks and says it's Wembenyama or bust, I think you're shooting yourself in the foot already. I think if you have at best a 14% chance and you're telling yourself this guy's our savior before yeah. he's on your team, you're in trouble. Yes. Um, I am still confident in Cade progressing. Uh, Jalen Duren's probably a role player at best. Uh, his explosiveness yeah. is awesome. He could be like a low-level DeAndre Jordan type guy. Um, not the all-NBA guy, but you know what I mean. Just a guy who rim runs, who catches lobs, who blocks shots. Yeah. Um, I'm not that big of a doomsday guy on the Pistons right now. I think they're exactly where they want to be. Um, I think you know, game 60, game 70, it's hard to lose those games. When you're the Pistons and you're playing a team, when you're playing against a team full of G-leaguers, it's hard yeah. to lose those games. If you pick up 12 easy losses early in the season, that helps you, man, with Wembenyama in the future. For sure. Um, I'm looking at the pick odds right now. If you're the Pistons, you have a 27% per, chance to either have Wembenyama or Scoot. That's, I like those odds. Th that's pretty good. Yeah. Right, because one of those two guys 
both of them are going to be all-stars in my estimation. I yeah, feel like- and there's another thing you can say very clearly, very confidently, and that's that Dwayne Casey shouldn't be a coach anymore. Ooh. Um, you're seeing nothing with Dwayne Casey this year that's making you feel like this guy should stick around as a coach. If you want to lose, if you want a single-digit win record this season, he's your guy. Um, the, the Pistons are going to continue to suck ass all year, and they're putting themselves in as good a position as they possibly can for that number one pick. I have no issue with that. Um, I think Dwayne Casey's going to go pretty soon. As soon as the Pistons want to start winning, he's out the door. I, I don't disagree with you. Um, right now, they're on pace for 15 wins. That's pretty freaking horrible. Pretty bad, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, just an odd. I just wanted to take a turn and focus in on that team because I think I was starting to hear some chatter in the offseason that, you know, they're a sneaky play-in team and, like, you know, if Paolo doesn't win it, uh, Rookie of the Year, Jaden Ivey's going to, and shit like that. Um, a lot of all-star buzz for Cade as well. That is not the truth for this no. team. This no. is a dog shit team, and I foresee a, a long road ahead until they're actually decent. Yeah, it's, it's going to suck if the only really, really good play we see from Cade is game 60 against G League, guys. Like, once the teams start giving up at the end of the year. Um, that is when we saw him succeed last year. That's when we saw Jalen Green succeed last year. And it, it's going to concern me a little bit if that's all we're going to see. Yeah. Um, before we go, let's talk about, you know, probably the best regular season performance over the last decade plus. Um, Joel Embiid put up 59 points, 11 rebounds, eight assists and seven blocks. Yeah. In one of the most dominant wins I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, the fourth quarter, he was everywhere on both sides of the ball. This man's an absolute beast. This is what he is at his best. Joel Embiid is a menace, and this was just hats off to him for one of the craziest games I've ever seen. Yeah, I was lucky enough to tune into this one as it was happening, and I was just in awe. I watched the second half of this game in the fourth quarter. I don't think I've ever seen that in my life from any player, ever. Not LeBron, not KD, not Giannis. I have never seen the dominance on both ends of the court like I saw with Joel Embiid in that fourth quarter. The blocks were insane. <clears throat> the blocks were insane. Obviously, the offense is wild. He had like twenty something points in the in the fourth quarter. That's that's crazy by itself. The defense was what made me just like have a heaven like basketball experience because. Yes, he was blocking every single shot, but he was also just deterring every single shot. Like, people were scared to fucking shoot against this guy. He controlled the entire game for the last 12 minutes. It was all Joel Embiid, no one else. No one else took a shot on the Sixers that went in. No one on Utah took a shot that went in because Joel blocked it. It was truly one of the greatest performances I've ever seen. Yeah, he deserves an immense amount of credit for that. Um, it's very funny. Since our last podcast I talked about with uh, Trust Love, I talked about Joel Embiid not playing to his standards. Since that, since I said that, he's put up 101 points in two games. Yeah, um, He's a menace, man. This is what I wanted to see. This is Joel Embiid locked in. This is what it looks like. He is your defensive engine. He is your offensive engine. He is unstoppable everywhere. Um, if you want to discredit some of the offense because they're playing the Utah Jazz and Kelly Olynyk plays center, I don't actually have an issue with that, um, but you got to give a lot of credit to his defense. If you're saying like, if Kelly Olenek is your center, that's a small ball lineup out there. And if Joel Embiid can still dominate playing against small ball lineups, that says a lot, man. You, not every center is able to do that. No. Yeah. He was getting it when, whatever way he wanted it, whether it was the post, whether it was mid-range shots, mid-range step backs, you know, just twirling around, grabbing offensive. It was the most complete offensive dominant and he's one of those players too where it's the damage he does to your team just in terms of free throws right guys are so desperate to stop him to getting to the rim they just foul the shit out of him but Embiid hits like 84 percent of his free throws so it's you're basically giving them the two free points and you're in foul trouble your whole team's in foul trouble when you face Joel Embiid mm-hmm. um yeah, man, if if anyone listening has not watched the fourth quarter, go watch what he does. It's it's truly beautiful. Yeah, the amount of free throws he's taken the last two games is pretty absurd. 
uh, 40 in the last two games, but they're not undeserved. He's getting hacked. It's the only way you can stop him from scoring in the paint when you're Kelly Olynyk or Laurie Markkinen or any of those guys. I'm going to bring it up for podcast sake and content sake. I texted you yesterday. I'm not sure Jokic is better than Embiid anymore. And you instantly hit me back with, stop it. We're not doing this off of one game. And my my retort to that was, what is more important? All-time great playmaking or all-time great defense? Because I'm done with the Jokic is a good defender conversation. He's not. It was fun for a little bit. He's got good positioning. He does. He's in the right spots, but no one's afraid of this dude. Everyone goes at him. He's not defending the rim well enough. And when you get him switched on a pick and roll, it's a disaster. He's not a good defender. He just has quick hands, period. Joel Embiid, all-time defender. If he was healthy and he didn't miss as many games as he missed, he'd have multiple Defensive Player of the Year awards. But he's a bad playmaker. And I'm I'm comfortable putting Jokic as a top five passer of all time. So it's kind of like, how do we actually determine who's better out of these two? I struggle with that. I know you don't because you're a Jokic stan. But for me, it's like, both of them have all-time skills that the other ones don't have. That's fair. Yeah, Jokic is legitimately one of the best passers of all time. Joel Embiid is one of the best defenders of all time. Um, availability is an ability. It's an important one. That's and true. I think that factors into it. And I think what we're both going to agree with is the biggest test of how important you are is what do you do in the playoffs? Um, and Nikola Jokic's playoff numbers are stupid. Uh, he He's always been a dominant force. He's always been a guy you can rely on. 52% from the field, 40% from three, 84% from the line. Those are his averages yeah. through eight playoff series. Um, he's brought his team to a Western Conference final. Jokic, I mean, Embiid's never been to the Eastern Conference final. Um, he's had some stinkers, some absolute stinkers. Yeah. We know Joel Embiid is a menace in the post. Um, I'm not ready to have that conversation yet about who's better. I'm giving it to the guy who just won two MVPs in the last two seasons. Yeah, I I lean Jokic as well. Um, I'm a huge playoff guy. I mean, like Julius Randle was the most improved player like uh, two years ago, and then he goes in the playoffs and he's an absolute scrub. Playoff minutes mean more to me, but watching that last night was like, holy shit. Like, I, I've never seen anything like that, and it shows what he can be at his peak. But like you said, availability is an ability. Unfortunately, by the end of the season, Joel's knees are cooked, and yeah. I think you can see it in the playoffs almost every year. You can see it in that game. If that's what it takes for him to beat the Utah Jazz, like, imagine Joel Embiid in 50 games. Um, he is going to be worn down. I mean, we're seeing it. You know, the difference between the Nuggets and the Sixers right now is shocking with yeah. the amount of work that each of those centers has to do. Um, Joel Embiid's got a heavy load to carry, and yeah. it's the only way they're winning ball games with uh, James Harden out. Yeah, and the bench we've spoken a little bit about. I know it's super, super niche, but the bench on the Sixers is horrible. Mm-hmm. And you can, like, that game shouldn't be as close as it is if Joel's having that performance. That should be a 40-point win. Instead, it came down to the final two minutes of the game. So, yeah, it's a little insane. Um, but yeah, I lean Jokic just because of the playoff track record. I mean, even though it's not like he's had a crazy uh, postseason success track record in terms of like winning championships, but he's made it farther. His stats are better. He's healthier longer. He hasn't missed games because he has diarrhea, right? Like, right. That's that's a Joel Embiid special. Yeah. I mean, I have to miss a playoff game because I'm shitting my pants in the locker room. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's like, come on. Yeah, um, I actually yeah. I'm I'm upset with Joel Embiid because of how well he's at what he's done in the playoffs since the Kawhi Leonard shot. Um, when you walk off crying after you know what being one shot away from making the Eastern Conference Finals, I think you need to come into next year's playoffs dominant, and he hasn't done it yet. He hasn't been that guy in the playoffs since that shot. He's had a few. He's had some great games. Yeah, he's had a few series where it was like, holy shit. Um, but he can't string it all together. That's right. the issue with him. Um, in 2020, he averaged 30 against the Celtics. That was the bubble run when Ben Simmons was out. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, he was that just... That was a sweep, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a 4-0 sweep. Yeah. And then 
Washington, he absolutely dominated 63% from the floor. I mean, Mm. that's just like, and then against Atlanta, he plays pretty well, 30 points per game, 13 rebounds, four assists, but that's, I mean, that's the season they lose to the Hawks and Ben Simmons passes up the shot underneath the rim. Like that shouldn't have even been close that series. Right. Really? It shouldn't have been. Right. You can't blame it all on Joel Embiid. Um, But I think how far you go in the playoffs does matter. And to this point in his career, he just hasn't made it that far yet. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, their legacies are going to be tied a little bit just because these past two MVP races, it's been one and two and same thing with the all NBA teams. But yeah, I lean Jokic, but seriously, like one of the most beautiful, spectacular performances I've ever seen. I, I agree. Um, and before we go, I want to do one more. I want to talk about one more team. Yeah. Portland Trailblazers. Yeah. Dame Lowered's awesome. This team looks fun. This team looks energized. It looks like they love playing together. We've seen a Josh Hart buzzer beater three. We've seen yeah. a Jeremy Grant buzzer beater shot from the baseline. Everybody's chipping in. And this team is the first in the West right now. I'm happy about it, man. I don't think Billups is a good coach, but they're at least playing well together and the defense is looking stellar. Um, I can't say anything negative about the Blazers so far. Yeah, I, I want to actually eat crow on this podcast a little bit. I jumped down Chauncey Billups' throat and I still think it's the wrong hire because I believe Becky Hammond was the correct hire. Mm-hmm. I thought he was a buffoon because he was using Yusuf Nurkic as a blitz center on pick and rolls and it just led them to getting torched every single game last year and they were mm-hmm. horrible last year. This year, he's playing Justice Winslow as a small ball five. He's using Nurkic when he has to. Jeremy Grant's been a revelation. Helps with switching a lot. Same with Josh Hart. This team's different. There's clearly been coaching adjustments. I think he might have taken the criticism for his scheme last year and actually, you know, listened to it. Um, Dame, he looks fucking good, man. He looks really good. 29 points per game on 47 from the floor and 40 from three. I mean, that's exactly who he was before he got hurt. Yes. Um, Anthony Simons looks incredible. Jeremy Grant looks unbelievable. Love it. Couldn't believe the way he's performing with this team. I thought his role was going to be drastically uh, decreased from what it was in Detroit. And he's putting up the same numbers just on less involvement, which is exactly what you want to see from a role player. Um, not to mention they have Shaden Sharp coming off the bench, giving them nine points, which I know is not a lot, but just on uber efficiency and sick highlights. So yeah, this team's awesome. My apologies to Chauncey Billups. And uh, I, I want to see this team do well, man. The vibes um, in Portland are immaculate right now. Yeah. And that always helps. Like when your team's jumping around in the post game pre- uh, press conference and like having a blast, that's mm-hmm. always a good sign. My one fear, and you can tell me if this is like, an overreaction or not, is this time last year, me and you were talking about the Wizards as the f- number one seed in the East. They were 11-3, and three, the Wizards, last year at this point of the season. And then they finished as the 11th seed in the East. I'm not saying the Portland Trailblazers are going to fall that far, but I think there's a possibility that this is a little bit of a mirage. Like, where do you think they could end the season, even seeing how well they've been playing up to this point? They're not the first, the best team in the West. Right, right. Um, are they? I, are they a playoff team? Are they a top six seed? I want to say yes, man. I okay. think a lot of the time, what I want uh, messes with my, you know, what I'm gonna my predictions. Because I'd love to see the Trailblazers be a playoff team. I'd love to see this team go far. Um, they're kind of the reverse of the Cavs, where they've had four really close games that they managed to squeak out wins in. Um, they've had two tough losses, one to Memphis and then one recently to Dallas. Um, I have faith in this team as a playoff team. There's just the the way they do things offensively and defensively. The scheme is clear and it's obvious how it leads to winning. Dame is your guy. He's your guy taking shots. He's your guy feeding your other teammates. Um, you got good corner three-point shooters. You've got good backdoor cut guys. Jeremy Grant as an off-ball guy, excellent. Um, there's a very clear system here for how this could lead to a lot of wins. I'm a believer in the Portland Trailblazers. Before I kick it back to you, Josh Hart is six foot five and he's averaging almost nine rebounds a game. Yeah. Unbelievable, man. He is one of the, he's the best rebounding guard in the league right now. Um, this is stuff you saw from like 
Russell Westbrook, but this is a role player on the team. This is not the guy who like Steven Adams is clearing out space. So you can pick up an easy rebound off a free throw. No, Josh Hart is flying in there and grabbing yes. boards. He is a bull in a China shop. I think any team would love to have Josh Hart on their team. Um, I know we're going a little bit longer than we thought we were going to go, but I need to talk about New Orleans really quickly. Sure. Zion's one of the worst defenders in the league. He is. And it's a little concerning. Uh, I ma- So I recorded a podcast a few days ago that I forgot to upload for you guys. Um, but I said in that podcast, like, the opening night when me and you watched the Pelicans absolutely smash the Nets, I think me and you were like, holy shit, like this team's going to be something. Well, it turns out the Nets are horrible. And, you know, that win doesn't seem as impressive now. Now at this point, the Pelicans are seven and six. I've watched a lot of their games. Their offense looks so clunky. It feels like it's very difficult to get Zion a good look because they want him sprinting to the left side of the court so he can take a left-handed layup. And those sets that they use to get that action going is very strange. And you want Brandon Ingram taking mid-range shots and you want CJ McCollum taking mid-range shots. They're not taking as many threes as they need to be. And Zion shots are harder than they should be. And they're just not using Zion as a point guard at all. They've completely phased that out. And that's what made Zion a 27 point per game scorer. I'm a little confused. Um, I'm not sure how high I am on this group. I predicted them to be ninth in our tier list moving into the season. I'm starting to think that was the right call. Like, I don't know if, I mean, there's clearly adjustments to be made because they have the talent. But as of right now, it just looks a little clunky to me. You're not wrong. Um, the losses, for the most part, are against respectable teams. Uh, they lost to the Lakers, and that was pretty pathetic. Uh, but they lost to the Suns. They've lost to the Hawks. They've lost to Portland. Um, those are respectable losses. Utah. Utah's a talented team right now. Um, the issue for me, besides Zion Williamson having some of the worst feet in the NBA, CJ McCollum's been ass absolutely yeah. terrible yeah um he for the first 10 games of the season had the lowest true shooting percentage of any 20 point per game scorer in the nba um he's no longer a 20 point per game scorer because he's just absolutely chucking dog shit up there 28 yeah. uh, from the three-point line 39 from the field and he's the leading shot taker on this team um that's unacceptable yeah. cj's a good passer he's got really good passing chops He's got to cut the the field goal attempts down by like six and really just facilitate. You've got guys like Trey Murphy, Larry Nance, Najee Marshall, Devontae Graham. These guys can catch and shoot. These guys can make decisions if you give them the basketball. Exactly. Um, and then Zion shouldn't be a 16 shot a game type of guy. Those are that's what it takes. Zion's got to shoot more. You've got to involve yeah. him. You've got to let him take the ball up. Um, it's it's been clunky, but I think. If we were being realistic, we should have expected this. Yeah. You don't sub in a guy like Zion into your team and immediately he just meshes. Um, you've got to construct your team in a way that makes him his best self. Um, and that isn't just stick him on the low block and get him post touches. Yeah. It, it, when Stan Van Gundy or Jeff, no, Stan. Stan. Yeah. When Stan Van Gundy was the coach of this team, we literally saw a tale of two players with Zion. The first half of the year, he was used as a post player and was very effective in doing so. But when Stan Van Gundy said, fuck it, let's make him the point guard, everything opened up. Mm -hmm. J.J. Redick was hitting crazy amounts of threes. Like He's similar to Giannis in the sense he's such a dominant paint presence that no one gives a shit about the three-point shooters. And with the talent they have on the team, like... If they just unlock that a little bit, you're getting CJ open threes, Ingram open threes. You know, Herb Herb Jones is going to get decent looks. I just want them to figure that out because I feel like this team's potential is so high and it would be so fun to watch. I agree. I love Trey Murphy. Everybody's got got to start talking about Trey Murphy. He is the ideal role player. 39% from three as a second year guy on five attempts a game, five and a half a game. Awesome. Yeah. Um, Make Zion the point guard. That is obviously the thing that's got to happen. Reduce McCollum's minutes. I'm not saying that trade was a failure because he can still do some good things. And this is obviously a terrible version of McCollum that we're seeing. Right. Um, I think he's been talking about playing through some injuries. 
um, and just wanting to be out there for his guys. At a certain point, if you're playing like this, sit, you know, for a couple of games, get your body right, come back into the game better. Um, we could see more, a higher usage rate for Zion. I think he had six assists a game when Stan Van Gundy made him the point guard. He did. We know he can do this, man. Um, I believe in Willie Green. He's a guy who motivates his guys pretty well. We saw it last year. I think this is still a team that likes playing together. I'm not hitting the panic button yet, but obviously some things have to change. 100% agree with you. Any other teams we got to talk about? I think that's it, man. We might come back soon. I want to do a power ranking, talk about some of the best teams in the NBA right now, but I think that'll do it for this episode. All right. Thank you for listening, guys. Peace out.